A good Lord's Day morning to you, and I welcome you to worship, all of you that are with us here at First United Methodist Church and those of you that are watching us from home. I'm Reverend Paige Campbell, and it is good to be together to worship, to give thanks, and to give praise. And so as we prepare, excuse me, as we prepare our hearts for worship, I invite you to take a moment to let go of the cares and the worries of the week. Perhaps you brought in some things with you or into this time and space that have been wearing you down this week. I invite you to take this time and lay them at the feet of Jesus. So now let us take a few moments and prepare our hearts for worship. Will you join your spirit with mine as we pray? God, fill this time and this space. Because, Lord, we have come to know you, to encounter you. Lord, to give you thanks and praise. And, Lord, to lay our hearts before you, full of the goodness that we have and full of the sinfulness that we need to shed. So God, may this time, this space, speak to us. Encourage us, help us to grow, help us to be filled with you, and help us to be the disciples that you have called us to be. Amen. Our first hymn is number 384 in the United Methodist Hymnal. It is Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. So let us sing at home, hum in the sanctuary, but let us rejoice in this hymn. Yeah. 
and thank you to members of the choir and to Charlie for coming in to record the vocals on that for us this week. I invite the children now to come to their televisions, their computer screens, whatever it is they're watching, and you all to give me your attention as we share in some children's time. So I have something for you to see this morning. I have a picture. Anybody know what that is? Jaden? It's a weight. Do you know another name for it? Close. A barbell. Yes, because it's got the big barbell. Do you know what a barbell is? Let me tell you. Is it, it's very, very heavy. It's, it's hard to lift. We have a couple at my house, and I don't like to move them because they're very heavy, and they break things if they fall on them. So it's a big barbell, and it is not easy to pick up. And so you have to be very strong, and the more weights, you see, sorry, Charlie, but you see like the blue and the red, the more of those you have on it, the heavier it is. So the more of those you have on it, the heavier it is. So it can be a very, very heavy thing. Do you know what else was very heavy? Jesus's cross was very heavy. And as Jesus walked toward the hill of Calvary, the soldiers wanted Jesus to carry his cross. And those mean soldiers, they'd already beat Jesus up. They'd already whipped him and hit him and hurt him. So he was already very weak. And still he had to carry that very heavy cross, even while he was bleeding and even while he had the crown of thorns on his head. So then there was a strong-looking guy named Simon who happened to be passed by. And so the soldiers asked Simon to help Jesus carry the cross up the hill. Now, do you think Simon wanted to help carry the cross? No, I don't think so. I mean, it was hard work. It was heavy. But Simon used his strength to help Jesus at a time when Jesus was very weak and suffering. Do you know that every time you help someone who is weak or in need of help or suffering, that you are helping Jesus? It's true. Jesus said, whatever you do for these others, my brothers and sisters, you do it for me. And you don't have to be really strong like Simon to help out, to help Jesus. You don't even have to be a grown-up to help Jesus. Every time you do something kind for someone else, you are helping Jesus. So that means when you make a card for someone who's sick, when you help with the dishes at home or put away your toys, or you share your toys, or you take time to talk to someone who's lonely, then you're not just helping that person, you're helping Jesus too. You're sharing Jesus's love. And Jesus is always ready to help you carry your heavy burdens too. He sends people into our lives to help us pray and to help us along like our teachers, our parents, our grandparents, maybe even our neighbors and pastors, <laughs> and what a blessing that can be. So let us pray together. Dear Jesus, 
teach me ways I can help people who are carrying heavy loads, heavy burdens. Let the love I share be my gift of thanks to you for always helping me. Amen. When we come together to worship, we worship through words, we worship through prayers, and we also worship through our giving. So now is the time when I invite our ushers to come forward to collect our morning tithes and offerings. And for those of you that are watching on home, if you would like to donate, you can either mail in your offering or make a donation online. Please be seated. Uh, now in our time of prayer, we ask for continued prayers for Dr. Caldwell. Uh, he had kind of a rough week, um, but he has moved into rehab, and so we pray that that will go well for him, and we pray for Pat as well during this time. We also ask for prayers for the family of Evadine Goers and continued prayers for Jean Goers, who is in Carl Hospital. We want to remember, of course, those who remain on our prayer list. Um, a lot of those folks are, um, you know, battling long-term illnesses such as cancer, heart disease, and other things. So please keep them in your prayers as well. We want to continue to pray for our state, for the further sharing of the vaccine, the not sharing of the coronavirus. I'm hearing rumblings that we're getting close, folks. So let's, let's pray that, that we will persevere and continue to pray for those who are both dealing with coronavirus, a long hauler, 
those who have it right now, and for all those who are caring in the medical field. I invite you now into a few moments of personal prayer time. Creator God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we continue our journey to the cross as we remember Jesus' journey to the cross. And Lord, this Lent has been a time for us to, to examine our hearts, perhaps to take up new ways of being closer to you, and also a time to put aside things that have kept us from you. Lord, thank you for our journey this Lent. And Lord, even though sometimes they're hard, like this journey through COVID, we thank you for the things that we will learn, for the ways that we will see you move that we might not have seen before. And we thank you most of all for your constant presence in the trials, in the journeys of life. Lord God, we pray for those who are sick today, who are recuperating today. Lord, we pray for your healing hand upon them. Lord, heal them. We pray, God, for those who are without today, who are without shelter, who are without food, who are without safety. God, we pray that you will provide. God, we pray for all of us who sin, because we all sin, God. Lord, help us to recognize the places in our lives, in our faith, that we fall short. Lord, convict us, challenge us, open our eyes so that we can repent. And Lord, when we repent, Lord God, we thank you that you forgive always. Always you forgive. Thank you for that love, Lord. Thank you for a love that has no limits. Thank you for a love that goes beyond anything we can understand. And now, God, help us to take that love and to share it into the world where we need healing, where we need provision, where we need your love. Lord, help us as we continue our journey to the cross to grow closer to you, to grow stronger in our faith and bolder in our witness. Lord, we pray all of this and so much more. But now we join our voices together to pray to you saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. There, having the first page of your sermon first is always helpful. It'll, you'll catch up better that way. So, okay. So, if you've got guests who come to your home and they arrive at your front door, what do you do? Well, I assume you invite them in. Maybe you offer to take their coat, show them a comfortable place to seat, sit. Maybe you offer them something to drink. Uh, maybe let them know, you know, well, the restroom is over to the right or something like that. You want to make sure that they're comfortable. Now, in the, na in the ancient Near East, during Jesus's day, the first thing that you did when you came into someone's home is that you washed your feet. Now, why was that? Well, that is because your feet would be dirty. They did not have closed-toe shoes like us. And so they... I remember back in the 80s when I saw folks wear Birkenstocks, and I'd call them Jesus sandals. Now I wear those Birkenstocks. <laughs> but, you know, they would wear open-toed shoes with some kind of sole and some kind of strap over it. This is an area that can be muddy in Israel, and it also can be very dry. And so your feet would be dirty one way or the other. And so when you entered a home, the first thing you did was wash your feet. Now, if it was the home of uh, someone who is wealthy, uh, perhaps they would have the servants wash your feet for you. And this was the lowliest job in the household. Now, if a, um, a host really wanted to honor you when you came into the home, the host would wash your feet. And, and that was a sign of, of welcoming, and it also kept the house cleaner. Practical and a showing of hospitality all at the same time. So foot washing was a very common thing in Jesus's day, very practical. I know folks now that still won't go to sleep at night, won't go to bed unless they've washed their feet. Winter, summer, doesn't matter. I mean, especially in summer because yeah, Feet get gross. Um, but even in the wintertime, you know, they want to have clean feet for the night. Then, if you came into someone's house, particularly for a feast, you might feast then at a table that is called a triclinium. I have a picture of that. And so it would be a three-sided U-shaped table where folks um, would basically kind of lay down on mats or cushions around a low-lying table, and you would lean on your left arm and eat with your right, and the way you'd be seated was kind of like what I describe as like angled parking. <laughs> so it was basically, if I'm leaning here, my neighbor's right here, so if I wanted to talk to them, I'd just kind of lean back and go, hey, Joe, can you pass the parsley? 
Um, you probably wouldn't ask them to pass the parsley. But anyway, as you can see on the inside of the triclinium would be where the servers would be serving you your food and things like that. And so this wasn't a normal eating um, layout. Normally, if you're eating, you would have just sat on your feet, basically, and kind of sat up. But for a feast, like for the Seder, the holy meal during Passover that the Jews observed, this is how you would sit. And so this, this picture that you have here, is the setting for the last meal of Jesus and his disciples. And so as you hear this retelling of these events from John chapter 13, I want you to picture this setting here. Before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, a son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who is bathed does not need to wash, except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So here, the disciples have entered a home. They have entered a home. They have already washed their feet. They have sat down for a meal. They have begun to eat. And then Jesus gets up. He takes off his outer garment. He ties probably, towel is not what we picture as a towel these days. A long piece of linen that he could tie to his waist and then use the parts that go below to dry their feet. He gets a basin of water and then he goes around to the disciples and he begins to again wash their feet. And this was extraordinary, as in extra ordinary. He washed their feet. It went from something that either the unknown servant in the house would do for you, or a kindness shown to you by a host. But this was Jesus, the Messiah, the leader, doing this menial task. Something that now has become very intimate. Now, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of folks now are very particular about their feet. And would not want anyone to wash their feet, or touch their feet, for that matter. 
The disciples in those days wouldn't have had those kind of feelings, but they would have been appalled at the idea that Jesus would wash their feet. And they didn't understand why, because they were already cleaned by the host or the servant of the house. So Simon Peter voices that which all the disciples was thinking. And Simon Peter was probably not the first or the last disciple to have his feet washed. In fact, I'm guessing he was in the middle because I'm guessing Jesus would have started at the end. And we know from the other three Gospels that Peter was sitting near Jesus, which would have been in the middle of the triclinium. So by the time Jesus gets to Simon Peter, I bet the tension in the room was unreal. Like, what? What, what, is he, what is he doing? So finally, Simon Peter, our voice for all the disciples, in many ways, the voice of us, says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you going to wash my feet? I don't know, maybe Peter was thinking, well, maybe I can understand why you would wash Andrew's feet, but I'm one of your favorites even, and you're going to wash my feet? And so Simon at first refuses. It's again the no, no, no of Simon Peter. The Jesus, you can't do that. That's not what we expect. But again, Simon Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is doing. Peter is thinking, I think, not with his faithful heart, but probably still with his selfish heart. And then Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. So perhaps at this point, Simon Peter is thinking that Jesus is beginning some new rite or ritual. You know, cleansing was a part of the Jewish faith, that you would, you know, ceremonially wash your hands before a meal or before worship. So perhaps... Simon Peter thinks this is a new way of ritually washing. But again, Simon Peter is mistaken. This isn't a new ritual, the same, this new remembrance, the same as what Jesus will do with the bread and the cup, what we've come to understand as communion. No, Jesus is saying that I am washing your feet because unless I do, you will not have a share with me. What does that mean, a share with me? I think Jesus is saying, unless you let me wash your feet, and until you understand this, you will not understand me and what I have called you to do completely. Jesus wants them all to be a full part of his family, a full part of their ministry, a full understanding of God's grace. But this activity, this action, is kind of going to put an exclamation point on discipleship for them in that moment. But again, Peter doesn't understand, and he says, oh no, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Wash all of me. But Jesus says, one who has bathed does not need to be washed, except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And then Jesus explains this foot washing, continuing in verse 13 of, uh, sorry, verse 12 of John 13. 
After he had washed their feet, he put on his robe and returned to the table. And he said to them, do you know what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. While Simon Peter was thinking that perhaps this foot washing was some kind of a, a ritual or a cleansing, Jesus is actually using it as an example of being a servant. And specifically what we've come to know as a servant leader. It isn't about what others in the faith can do for you, but what you can do for others in the faith and beyond. How can you show others the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus any better than to serve? And not just to serve out of your own convenience, but to serve in ways that others might find to be demeaning or even demoralizing. But when you do it in the name of Christ for Christ's kingdom, then you yourself are being the hands and feet of Jesus. You must be ready to lower yourself, just like Jesus did, to show God's love through your deeds. And Jesus did this for all of the disciples, knowing exactly whose feet he was washing. He was washing the feet of Judas Iscariot. He was washing the feet of Simon Peter, who would go on to deny him. He was washing the feet of every other disciple who would desert him that evening. Yet he still did it. He still served them. He still loved them. And he still provided for them a concrete example of what it is to be a servant in his name. At the time... I am sure that the disciples had no idea still what was going on. But only when they looked back would they truly understand the power of what Jesus did. He loved them, sinners that they were, right before they were going to betray him. Yet he still showed them so much love and compassion through his actions. Later on, they would think back and they would think, he even did that for Judas. He loved us and was always working to show us that love. Jesus did that to show us, to show Simon Peter the example of the type of disciple that we are called to be, that we are to share Jesus through our actions. And this is the type of disciple that Jesus wants all of us to be. We too come to that same table whether it be the table for foot washing or the table for communion. We come to that table as sinners, as imperfect, as people who make mistakes. Yet we come to the table because we are seeking to do better. We are seeking to repent. 
We are saying, Lord, I want to follow your call. Lord, I love you, and I know that you love me. And so forgive me for my sins. Help me to be better. And what does God say? God says, yes, come. God says, yes, you are forgiven. Yes, come be a part of me. And yes, come share me then with the rest of the world through the things that you do, through your witness of words and of actions. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have a new life. And part of that new life then is sharing God's grace. And it is through our words and through our deeds. And yes, it might put us in uncomfortable spaces and places. But we do it to show love and to show grace. Serving is a part of the new life that God has called us to. All of us, including the leaders. One of the things that Jesus wanted his leadership to understand above all else is that they were not above everyone else. That they were servant leaders. That, that being a part of this new kingdom and a new part of God's calling is for everyone to serve. Not for some to sit back in their big fluffy chair and point in order, but for everyone to be a part of showing, of witnessing, and loving for God. We are each called to be servants. We are each called to serve. It is the example that Christ sets for us in a multitude of ways, through his miracles, through his feeding of the 5,000, through his curing of others, through his spending time with children and women in a day when that was not done. And Christ calls us to do the same, to love everyone, even those who are pushed aside or not acknowledged, to serve the needs of others and to do all of it in love and grace, putting others first and not ourselves putting God's call ahead of all else that we do. And we do it because God loved us first. Let us pray. God, you have called us to witness to your love and to witness to your love through the things that we do, in the ways that we serve others. May it be big or small, might it be a kind word to the person who is lonely? Might it be a big gesture, providing groceries for a family in need? It might be going on mission, Lord. It might be lifting the phone and calling someone who is lonely. Whatever the case, God, help us to keep our hearts open to the places that you are calling us, the ways that you are calling us to be your servants just as you called Peter and the other disciples to do as well. Amen.
Our next hymn, a response to our message, is Jesus' hands were kind hands. It's number 273 in our hymnal. It will not be familiar to you, so I invite you to really pay attention to the lyrics. Next week is Palm Sunday. And so in celebration, can you believe that? I can't either. But it's Palm Sunday. Our road to Jerusalem gets closer. And so as a reminder, after worship, we will be doing a palm parade through town. I've received several requests of places, people to drive by so we can wave to them. If you know others who would like to be visited as such, please let me know. Feel free to decorate your car with a sign saying who we are and why we are sharing God's love that morning. And so we will line up as soon as worship is over and begin at approximately 10 o'clock. And then for Easter Sunday worship, I've made a slight tweak to things. We are going to have our sunrise service at 7.30 in the courtyard. And so we will meet out there. We're going to just pray that the weather is going to be great, right? The Lord will provide in some way, right? And so we will meet there at 7.30, and then afterwards, the Family Ministries team is providing muffins and juice for us to share in between services, and then we will have another worship service here in the sanctuary at 9 o'clock. And for those of you that are watching at home, the sunrise service will be on Facebook only live, but both services will be live at 9 o'clock, or the services will be the nine o'clock service will be live on both YouTube and Facebook. As a reminder, the sesquicentennial fish, chicken, and shrimp fry fundraiser is this coming Friday. And so to purchase tickets ahead of time, contact Amy Ripito. And if you would like her, um, I'll give you their email address, altamont150years at yahoo.com. Uh, so if you'd like to let them know uh, if you'd like to order in advance. And we're out of nuts. Woo! Good job. Good job. So um, in the meantime, have a wonderful week. Take God's love out with you. Let us sing our closing hymn. It's number 579. Again, I picked one you're less familiar with, but it has wonderful lyrics that fit what we're talking about today. We're going to be singing verses or humming verses 1, 4, and 5 
of Lord God, your love has called us here. love is making all things new in your life, in your heart, and within the world. So go and take God's love and share it everywhere you go. Go in the peace and love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Blessings until we gather again. Amen. And go Illini. <laughs>